Welcome to your Veterans Resource Podcast, Return to Roots. This podcast is for service members and their family members regarding retention, transition, and reintegration from active duty to veterans in the community. Hi, I'm your host, Chris Elder, an active duty senior chief in the United States Navy. My partner in crime slash host is Yogi Hernandez, who's an active duty chief in the Navy. Together, we are documenting our experiences as we prepare to transition and reintegrate into the community. Every podcast will have actionable content that will benefit American service members and their families, as well as those who have already transitioned and reintegrated. We got some exciting news. My transition timeline 365 is now on the Android and Apple App Store. Go on there, download it, track your transition timeline, find Return to Roots Mildevet inside of the app where you can find new updated episodes and get the most up-to-date information on your transition because your transition and reintegration into the community is priority. Enjoy the app and enjoy this show. This material is intended for a mature audience. If you have little ears within earshot, please make sure that you listen to it before you allow them to listen. We encourage people to utilize Courage to Call 211 if you have any suicidal ideations or if you just need somebody to talk to, 211 is a great resource. Hey everyone, thanks for coming on to Return to Roots. What I want to do is tell you guys about Courage to Call. There's going to be some heavy stuff that we cover in this episode and it's good because you need to hear other people's stories that help you get through your story and there's going to be some light at the end of the tunnel, but there's some things that are going to be brought up that I want to make sure that we give you these resources. Courage to call 211. It is a great resource for you to utilize. If you have any feelings of suicidal ideations or anything like depression, or you need to talk to somebody, reach out for help. 211 is a good option if you want somebody that's going to give you that help that nobody else is going to know about. But you could also reach out to your friends, reach out to your friends, your family, reach out to us. We will help connect you with resources. If you need them, we're here as a family. Okay. With that being said, welcome to today's podcast and welcome to return to roots today where we're going to be hosting a very important person that is going to be talking about his experience. His name is Trey Trevino. He is also the podcast host of This Is How It Is. He has an amazing story, and he has a lot of life experience that is very pertinent to a transition, especially an unplanned transition or unexpected. And... Everything that happens within our community that a lot of us, a lot of us have to deal with and are ashamed of, of even talking about it. And it's a real thing. As much as we try to say that it is no longer part of the culture, it still is part of the culture. As much as we have pushed and we have made progress to make better. Uh, but it's still, it is, it, it is what it is. Today, unlike any other one of the podcasts, the podcast might be a little dark and a little intense, but we want to make sure that we capture the reality of things. Without further ado, Trey, welcome to the podcast. Hey, what's up, man? Thanks. Appreciate having me on here, man. 
we're honored. Um, so listening to your podcast, you talk about a lot of things that went on through your career and also that went on through your personal life. And it was an absolute, real hard, strong story to listen to. And all your um, partners that were there with you talking about the podcast on your podcast shows, it's very raw and cut, you know, it cut, it cut, at least to me, it cut to my soul about your story and the PTSD, the anxiety, the shame that comes with it that nobody talks about. So if you can uh, share with our listeners that are not, not familiar with your story, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and where you come from? So <clears throat> my real name is Tiburcio. So Tiburcio Trevino um, in the Navy, they call me Trey here back home in Alice. I'm known as BJ just because it's, I got an old name. It's my dad's name and so on and so forth, but I'm from South Texas. I'm from Alice, Texas. Um, it, it's been, a, I mean, I'm 35 years old and I think for the next, the last 15 years have been like psychotic. It's been like, it's just so many ups and downs, man. Like I joined the Navy to get out of, I joined in 08 to leave my hometown, right? Because it's, there's nothing to do here. It's an old field town. When the old field is down, all hell's breaking loose out here. So I left and I mean, I joined, I did what I was supposed to do. And before I left, I got married. Um, I got married uh, to a girl from my hometown here. We went to school together and stuff. Her name was Melanie. And then joined the Navy, man, did good, rose up. I was at VFA 151. Um, I joined as an AO. I know y'all love y'all's AOs, so. <laughs> uh, uh, no, here comes the hate. <laughs> I, don't, I just have to lay it out out there right now. Uh, but uh, no, I joined, man, and then I, I was doing good, and I made, I came in, and I was like one of those accelerated advancements, push buttons out of uh, A school, so I got third. I was a third class after I was in my command for like, I think it was six months or something like that. And then it took me a while to make second. It took me like four or five times and then I made second and then I got, and then, so like, let's just say my whole first tour was amazing. Right. I did good things. I was, you know, supervisor. I was, I was kicking ass and all that stuff going on deployments and everything. Um, and then I was like, man, I did my first five years and I'm ready to get out now. I did good. I changed my life. I'm gonna go home. Um, and then we were, I was at the, the medical doing like last minute medical stuff. Like the last two months you're going to get out and two, three months. And so I told my wife, I'm like, hey, you should get that thing looked at on your head because she had this thing on her head. And uh, she's like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. I'm like, just get it looked at. Well, they looked at it. They're like, we'll remove it for cosmetic purposes. They took it off. And then like, I don't know, a week later, they called her and they're like, you need to come in right now. And they're like, hey, that was melanoma cancer. That was on your head. So we we're like, I was I was on the line working. I, I saw my phone had like 20 missed calls. And I'm like, what the hell's going on? And so I left work and went home and I was like, okay. I was like, I'm still going to get out. I'm like, I can do this. I'm like, you know, we've, we, I've been through a lot of stuff so far. You know, I'm, I'm a strong person. I can, we can do this still. And my chief and my gunner were like, what are you thinking? You need to stay in. There's nothing that's going to pay for like her treatment, any of that stuff. And I'm like, nah, it's all good. I'll figure it out. Something. And I mean, they, they hounded me. They went to my house and chewed my ass in front of my wife, like my chief and my gunner. And then I still told them no. And then the next day 
my and I, like when I tell you my entire chain of command, like from my chief all the way up to the XO, took me to the skipper's office, and they were all like, kind of chewing my ass, like like it was like a fake mast or something. And they're like, "Why are you not going to stay in? Like, you will never pay for any of that. You're a good sailor. Like we're not supposed to even do this right now, but you need to right now." The skipper was like. I'll call Millington right now and get your stuff pulled and we'll get you reenlisted next week. And I'm like, damn, this shit's real for real. So I was like, I thought about it, went home. And then the next day I was like, all right, I'll re-up. So I re-enlisted. They, they jumped through their ass to keep me in. Um, we had to go to Balboa down to San Diego. So then I got transferred to VMF AT-101 with the Marines. And that was an awesome experience also being with the Marines. Like at first it was kind of a culture shock. Cause you know, we're, it's just different. We're real laid back in the Navy and then they're, they're on it. So I was there for three years. They had surgeries on my, on my wife. And then they, they took everything off and I was like, I was good. I was, uh, I was still strong. I was working hard. Um, and I was, I mean, I was working my ass off when I was with the Marines. I made first class when I was there. And I mean, I used to, we used to party, you know what I'm saying? We used to drink and party like any anywhere else um on the weekends we i'd have barbecues all the time the marines go to my house and stuff it was it was good it wasn't really a, like a problem for me and then uh then i got stationed up in oak harbor and i think like three months after i was there um my wife had gotten re-diagnosed with melanoma but stage four this time so it had already gotten to her liver and to her lungs like out of nowhere so that was kind of like, oh, shit, like the survival rate for stage four, the five to 10 year rate was not very good at all. So then like my drinking started to start, I think even I started using it as a coping mechanism instead of like having fun. You know what I mean? In instead of like just being with, the, you know, with, with your friends and stuff and having a barbecue and drinking, it went from that to like, like, man, I'm stressed out. And to any time I felt any type of stress, I was going to drink. And, you know, what I'm saying people, you know, you come home from work sometimes and you're, you know, you're real tired. You had a long day. You're like, man, I'm going to crack open a beer. You know, I, I don't have anything against people drinking at all. But me, that's when it started. And so she had like clinical trial after clinical trial. We had to drive to Seattle like 24-7 um, to get these treatments. And then I made chief that year uh, in 2016. That's when I made chief. So I was making chief. I started a new command, new like treatments. You got stage four, like the move. It was like a whole bunch of stuff um, just piled into one. And then I made chief, went through the season, um, pinned on. And then I got to a new command and we were doing good. I was, I was still doing good. And then her cancer just started getting worse. And then like with cancer, man, it's not like those Hallmark movies to where it's like, oh, you have cancer. It's like some like deep, like, I don't explain it. Like lovey-dovey sparkles. Like I'm going to be here forever. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, how it, it, that's, that's not the reality of it. Sometimes it is, but the reality is like that cancer in somebody's life, it just, it destroys not just that person. It's like everything around is that, you know, your, your significant other is tired they they're sick so you got to take on the responsibilities of the house the kids everything else um and then there's like no attention to you at all the attention goes to your sin which it should be right 
So you fast forward, she had cancer for eight years. And so for eight years, it was like that. And my dream just got worse and worse and worse and worse. And so on detachments, man, you know, I'm gone, you know, you're gone from home. Um, and sometimes we let loose a little bit too much because we don't have no, you know, that person like bringing you in, you ain't got to go home to that person. You'll be like, Oh man, they're going to get pissed off. Like you don't have that person. And the oversight is like real small on us also. And me, I just, I would drink a lot on the debts. And then, um, I was, let me see, I'm trying to think about all the times. So, so I was, I was doing a lot of that. Right. And my first, I got the first time I got in trouble, um, was I was on a flight coming back from a conference. It was an AO conference. Um, and they were just talking about like bomb racks and stuff. And so I went the first night and then on the way back that morning in the airport, I started, uh, drinking and I got on the flight and I sit down. Right. And this is like, like eight, 9am flight. And I sit down and there's a little girl next to me. So I'm like, man, I don't want to reek next to her. So some man saw that and he switched seats with her and sat on the passenger side or the, the, the thing next to me. Well, this dude ended up being the XO, one of the commands on base. And I was oh, already, shit. and I was already feeling real good. And he, he was the XO of the command whenever they drew the, the dicks in the air. It was during that time oh. also. No, yeah. <laughs> So it was during that time and like, he, I was like, what? And I was still drinking, man. And so we got off in the same place after that and we're waiting. Um, and I was still getting messed up, man. Um, and then I get on the, f I get on that second flight and they had to get me off because I was trying to start shit with somebody and I don't even remember what was going on. Um, so he got me off and he had to stay with me. He had to call uh, my gunner and I was at the wing at the time. You had to call my gunner. They had to pick me up. They had to take me back to Seattle. It was a big deal, man. Like, it was a big deal. It was the first time I had ever gotten in trouble in my entire military career, and it was as a chief. So I was, like, super embarrassed of myself. I was super, like, shamed. Um, and I thought that would, like, really scare me, and it didn't, man. I just – I kept on, man. I kept on drinking. It got worse at the house. The stuff with the cancer kept on getting worse. And – I felt like everything was coming down. And I think around that same time, I started going to see mental health on base. Right. And, uh, they gave me like medicine and stuff. I think it was like Lexapro. And during that time, it's when it started like my give a shit factor. I don't know why it just like went out the door whenever I started taking the medicines, but I, I'll get into that in a little bit, but so it goes on with there. I got in trouble a couple more times and then it was for real to where I got moved out of the command. Um, and I had to go, to facilities and that's where you get thrown to whenever you just want to not be seen right that we're gonna we're gonna throw you somewhere else just stay there and just exist but don't exist you know what i mean so i was there and they were like hey we're gonna accept you and i that, that was like what like accept like i got in trouble for drinking a couple times like what do you mean an accept and that that was like the biggest blow to me at the time ever that, that I was going to get kicked out of the Navy. And I had been in for, I think it was 12 years at the time, maybe 13. And I was like, I'm, I've messed everything up. Like my name is tarnished. What I did is tarnished. Um, how am I going to pay for treatment for my wife? How am I going to be there for my kids? How am I going to, where am I going to work? When am I going to do this? You know, like 
all these bats and nerves going through my head. And that's about the time I was doing the podcast because I was dealing with those type of things. And we were doing the podcast and I was talking about these things and talking about these things. And then like I, a lot of a big reason it stopped is because I broke. Like I literally had like a, like a breakdown is what happened. And um, Heath had to get me from the house. I was acting crazy, like suicidal ideations, everything. Took me to the hospital. And from the hospital, they kept me. And then they sent me to Madigan. And I was at the psych ward for a week. And like, it's funny, man, because there are people that would come and they like had been beating their wives and stuff. And they let them out after like three days, three, four days. Me, I would be there like the fifth day. I'm like, why can't I leave already? Like, there's people that are worse. And they're like, why do you think you're worse? And then like, it's just, it would go on like that until I had to like straighten my act out and act like everything was okay. I've learned. Like, I'm not going to do anything that they released me. But then they ended up releasing me to a rehab in um, Portland. And I was there. It was a crazy experience being in rehab. Um, and then I, I left. I was sober, I think, for six to eight months. Um, I had to go to my AdSet board. I hired a lawyer and everything. And then they still kicked me out. And I got kicked out. Still with a general. Um, and that's when go time started. Like, what am I going to do for real? Because I really am getting kicked out. Um, man, I, so I just started like researching uh, VA ratings. Like, what is the VA rating system? What is it about? How do they rate you? There's a pub for everything, right? So I started looking at the, what the, what is it? The 38 CFR rating yeah. schedule. Yeah, I started CFR. looking at, so I started looking that up. I started seeing what I got to do. Um, and then I just, I had been going to medical before already, like during my time up, but I wanted to make sure my stuff was on point. And I was stuck in Oak Harbor for like a year and a half after after all this, like, I drove my family down to Texas to be ready for when I get out. And I thought I was going to get out in a couple months because I had my asset board. And I'm like, all right, they're going to put my paperwork through and I'm going to roll. And because it had PTSD in there and mental illness and going to rehab and all that stuff, they can't just kick you out. They have to have somebody under, I think it's the secretary of the Navy or Somebody like way, 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 way up there at PERS. Actually, it's a, somebody real high at PERS. I think the highest person at PERS, the CMP. Yeah. He has, they have to review your record and then say if you can get kicked out or not after that. And so to go to that person, it took like a year. So I was just stuck in Oak Harbor, living with my cousin for a year. And so I didn't do anything, man. I, I was still like real depressed I, and I started drinking again. And then finally, I got out in October. Um, October of 21 is whenever they said I can, I could, uh, come back. So my wife had flew to Oak Harbor. We got on the plane, we landed Corpus. And right when we land, she's like, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts, my stomach hurts. And I was like, all right, we go to the hospital, went to the hospital. They took out her gallbladder. Um, and it just got worse and worse. We were in ICUs. They said the cancer had gotten like spread everywhere in her liver. We were going to Houston. We were going to Corpus, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then I had to put her in hospice. And I was like, some of the that was that was the hardest thing I've ever had to do is is sign a it's called DNR, right? Do not resuscitate paperwork. 
it's hard, man. I was there in the, in the ICU and the doctor's like, there's nothing we can do. Like, you know what I'm saying? That talk where they're like, it's either here, uh, she either dies here in ICU or dies at home. And I'm like, all right. So I had to sign that paperwork, making that big decision. I had to find a place to rent in my hometown. I had to find stuff to furnish it because all my stuff was in Oak, in Oak Harbor in Seattle, packed up the household goods move thing until my, all my stuff was fully signed off. So I had to jump through my ass to get all that, get her home. She was home for like a week, two weeks, maybe. And then she ended up passing away on, on January 1st, on New Year's Day of 22. And wow. yeah, man. And I was down a, that down that dark, dark hole again. Um, and after that, uh, I ended up going to another rehab in, in Bastrop, Texas. And this was like a nice one. Like this, was a, this was like a, uh, like a resort, man. Like you could have your phone, you can walk around, you can go to a gym, the gym, if you want to, they don't have to escort you anywhere. You just have to go to groups and stuff. And, and that was nice. Um, it was a nice place, but they never addressed my grief. It was just alcohol. So it was a good patch for a while until like this past year, I relapsed again, man. And this last time I went to uh, Illinois, this place called Lincoln Recovery in Illinois. And the director was a Navy veteran. He was an AT, went to school, ended up being a doctor. And then, so he's the, the, the director at that rehab. So he worked with me a lot there. And like, <clears throat> you start figuring out stuff that's going to keep people, keep you sober as a person, at least for me, is giving back, helping people out. Like that's when it, you're not stuck in that rut. And he's the one to put the idea like, dude, why don't you be a counselor? I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. I told him about the podcast and told him all about, you know, the Navy and everything and what I did and the way I engaged over there um, and the rehab with the groups and stuff like that. He told me, why don't you do it? So I got online, I looked at a local college and I started doing that. And that's where I've been since. I mean, I, I mean, there's a lot of stuff too in between, but like, whenever you talk about like the deep stuff, she passed away in January, 22, I fell and then I was good. And then I fell again this past year. And now I'm going to school to be uh, an addiction counselor. I'm a substitute teacher now. Um, I have three kids. I have, I have a, a newborn. I met my girlfriend. She's helped me a lot. Um, she's very supportive of me. Yeah, I mean, and I got to say, I'm doing good now. Like, in all aspects of life, I'm doing good right now. Um, but I prepared when I was going to get out. Like, like once they said, you're going to get kicked out, my mind just went into, like, planning mode. I, uh, I started looking, like I said, the ratings. I started looking at jobs. I started messing with my resume. I started, like, putting plugs out there like, Hey, does anybody know anything? Anybody know anything? And, um, I got one bite. Let me see what, see if I can find the dude's name. Uh, <clears throat> man, what's his name, dude? Mark, Mark Reed, Mark Reed. Yeah. So, yeah. so Mark Reed hit me up, dude, when I was getting it out and he's like, Hey man, he's like, you want a job? I'm like, Oh yeah. He's like, dude, they're hiring in Corpus. Uh, they need a, a 
uh, mechanic, um, what's it called, supervisor, uh, aircraft maintenance supervisor. I'm like, they gonna hire me? I was like, I'm some dumbass AO, dude. Like, what do they mean? Like, <laughs> how are you gonna hire me? Like, I was like, I'm probably gonna go to Kingsville because Kingsville, you can load bombs and stuff over there and just be a normal like AO. So I was like, all right, I'll apply. I applied and like they called me up and they had an interview on the phone. And that was just a that's that brotherhood right there thing, though. You know what I'm saying? Like another chief hitting up a chief. Hey, I know you, you're getting out. You're from South Texas like me. And it was good. I mean, I was working as an aircraft maintenance supervisor on base. Like financially, the transition was just boop, the same thing, like doing damn near the same thing. I was like a chief to a hundred and some mechanics. Um but I don't know. I, just, I didn't want to be around the military anymore. Like now I miss it a lot because I'm away from it entirely. But I was like, it just it didn't, you know, civilian clothes at the beginning. I was like, hell yeah, look at this. Like I can just chill. I can wear my earrings in here, like on base while I'm like a supervisor and stuff. And it was good. And um, I ended up getting 100% disability from the VA. But I worked with the, with the DAV to get that. I worked with them. And then I was an advocate for myself because they weren't going to get anything from um, off base, like surgeries I had off base at like hospitals, like, you know, normal hospitals out there, like in Mount Vernon and stuff. They were like, no, no, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. I was like, mm. so I got records from all the surrounding hospitals that were outside of the Navy. And I submitted those too. And those helped me out. Um, the sleep apnea thing, you know what I'm saying? Everybody tries to get, tries to go in to get sleep apnea to be 50%, right? So, I, but I had one a year before I got out. So it didn't look like it was like, oh, he's just trying to get it. And I had already documented like sleep test, sleep study, have the sleep machine, the CPAP machine. And even with all that, and they had all my records, they still send me this little thing in the mail to wrap around my finger and still do a, a sleep test at my house. The VA still like they're like oh yeah we're let's check maybe it probably got better no dude they sent that in um this i had like four cmp exams um so i had that one i had a psych eval um down i was just honest like with everything and the main thing with the, the psych eval is they want to know like can you work like can you work with what's going on or what sets you off and so I was honest with them on that, like, and so I did that one. And then I got like the, what is it? The ringing in the ears? Tinnitus? Tinnitus. Tinnitus. I was like, I didn't even get for like hearing loss, just tinnitus. And they still had to do like this full in-depth ear, like audiology appointment. And I told the the doctor, I'm like, I'm just here for ringing in the ears. What test do you have for that? They're like, we don't have a test for that. They're like, what do you do whenever um, it gets real loud? Like that, that noise. I was like, have to turn on the fan. They're like, okay, that's all you need to know. And they're like, check. And then the last one, um, it was for like all the medical stuff. And I had a bunch of stuff, man, because I put everything I possibly could on there. And the doc's like, man, this is a lot of stuff. He's like, look, I'm going to read out some stuff and just tell me which ones like really don't bother you for real. And we'll focus on the ones um, that really give you trouble. I'm like, okay. And he would just name himself off. I'm like, nah, nah, nah. And then the stuff that mattered, he was real cool with me, like my shoulders torn. And he's like, you know, the range of motion. And I tried to lift it and like, I could lift it the whole way. And he's like, 
when does it hurt? I'm like, oh, it hurts like right here. He's like, let's try it again. Then once it starts hurting, that's when you stop. And so I barely moved my shoulder and that's where he marked it. But I've, from what I've seen and heard, like, it's not always like that with the doctors because they contract them out locally. Um, so I did all that. I had to wait like four months. I think it was like four months. And then they called me and they're like, you, uh, something, there was something with the paperwork, but I was like, Hey, did y'all find out what my percentage was? They're like, Oh yeah, you got a hundred percent. I'm like, what? Like I was expecting like maybe 80, like hmm. I was gunning for like 80, 90, like, man, hopefully. And it was like a hundred and I was, and it was PNT, right? Like permanent and total. So can you tell, can you tell our audience what PNT means? So it's permanent and total. So you're hundred percent PNT means like you're, permanently disabled and totally disabled 100%. So from my understanding, it means they can't touch your rating. Like they can't, you can't go to the VA and be like, man, my shoulders really bother me. And they're like, hey, well, okay, we're gonna, you've been going to the, the doctor about your shoulder and it looks like it's getting better. So we're gonna downgrade your, your rating. From my understanding, that's that they can't do that. Because it's like a final boom, that's it, you're 100, that's it. But I know that they can also do like, um what is it like reviews reevaluation no so that they can't reevaluate you with a pnt but i know it's like almost like an audit or something they go in there and look to mm -hmm. see i was reading about it the, the other day because it kind of scared me but i got 100 pnt and man let me tell you dude that is like the biggest blessing that i have is having the 100 um Disability. I mean, and it makes sense, man, because I stopped working on base. And then I was working uh, as a cable technician here in my hometown for a little bit. And I stopped working there. And so it makes sense, man. Like my back was hurt. And when I was like out there doing physical labor again, climbing ladders, climbing poles and mm -hmm. hooking stuff up. I wasn't used to that. I was used to like standing in the flight line. Like I wasn't lifting bombs anymore towards the end. And if I right. did, it was every now and then it wasn't like boom, boom, boom. So I was doing that. My back was hurting. My arm was hurting. Like I get home, I'll pissed off and my leadership in there sucked so bad. Like, I, you know, we <laughs> bitch about it in the Navy, dude, my supervisor, like I, this dude, it was just like the guy over him, he would come and tell us, well, this guy said you have to do it. So we have to do it. And I'm like, I'd be like, you, you should have owned that. And that dude used to be in the Marine Corps. That's a whole different story, but stuff like that. And it would just bring me down. And I'm like, dude, there's something else I should be doing. Like I, I should be doing something else. Like I'm not going to be a cable guy for the rest of my life just because I'm trying to be home. I don't want to be towards the military. Like I have to do something. And that's when I relapsed at the time. And like I said, I went to that rehab and like with me, what helped me is during that time, man, I was already getting real depressed again this past year. Um, Cause it was getting close to the, like the year anniversary of uh, my wife passing away. And I was like, man, I don't care if I die. You know, like, I just want to go already. I want to go so I can go to heaven and just be with her. Like that's, that was my whole thing. Like nothing mattered. And like, you know, I had my girlfriend here. She was supportive, like, and everything, but it was just me. I got stuck in my head mm. and I was like, I don't care. I just want to go. I just want to go. I don't want to be here. Like I wasn't actively suicidal or wanting like to die, but I didn't care if I did if that makes sense so that makes perfect sense so that's where I was at and in rehab I had already detox and everything this was like the second week 
and I woke up in the middle of the night, man, and I couldn't breathe. Um, my body was stiff. And it just, I was real scared when I woke up, like stupid scared. Like I thought I was going to die. I thought I was dying. Um, so I, I could barely walk. I was like crawling into my door to get out. And luckily some man heard me and he picked me up. And like, I was literally like in boxers damn near. And he drugged me to the nurse's station because I could barely like breathe and stuff. They took my, my pulse and it was like 155 um, right there. And the nurses started freaking out because they couldn't get my, my, uh, my blood pressure. And because the pulse was so high and I was like panicking. I thought I was going to die. I kept asking if I was going to die. And I felt like something was just like, like pulling me, man. When I, I was sitting in this chair, I remember, and they were, they were freaking out. It was like three nurses freaking out. The techs were freaking out. Um, and I like saw something here. I don't know. Like, it just felt like this darkness type of thing. And I felt like it was, I was getting pulled, like it was getting pulled away from me. Like, that's why I thought I was going to die. I thought I was going. And they gave me something and I started chilling out and calming down after that. I went to the hospital and they were like, they're like, what do you think happened? I was like, I think I had a, um, a seizure. I'm like, no, you didn't have a seizure. And they checked all my things. They're like, you just had a night terror. And I was like, I don't know what a night terror is, but that doesn't sound like it. And for me, you know, I think that was like a spiritual awakening type of thing. Um, people have on their own beliefs and stuff like that. But for me, I think that was like my, like, okay, that's it. You've messed up for a while. You kept been falling in this pattern. That's it. Like you say, you want to die. Here's a little taste. You know what I mean? Here's a little taste of what it might even feel like. And so that like really, really scared me, man. Like, I think for the last three weeks that I was there at rehab, I slept with like with the light on and with, like the Bible next to me. It was, it, it, it like really scared me. And so that got me going, like wanting to just help people out, talk to people again, like re-motivated me to, to, to want to talk to people. So that's when I started writing songs and stuff in there. Um, and then talking to that director, I actually had grief groups in that rehab. So we'd meet twice a week and that's other people who have lost somebody close. And then my counselor, um, she was a grief counselor and an addiction counselor at the same time. So I got to let it all out over there. Like I let my guard down completely and let it all out. What I've been feeling, shame, you know, the shame, guilt, regret, you know, blaming me for everything. And then realizing like everything happens for a reason. And I had to learn to forgive myself. Um, and then, like I said, I started going to school um, because even though I got kicked out with a general, you're not supposed to be able to use your school because um, you have to get an honorable to use your school. But because I had the, that was my third enlistment, I had two, my first two enlistments were honorable. So then it counts for your school. People don't know that. They think like, oh, I'm getting kicked out after so long. Like, I'm not going to be able to use my school. But if you had two honorable enlistments or whatever, any honorable time you've had, they have to utilize that for your, um, your benefits. So that, that, uh, really helped me out because I mean, going to school, dude, like I'm working as a substitute on the side, I get the disability and then I get the, uh, for going to school, they give you that, the E5BH. So they're literally paying you to go to school. They're paying for your school and for you to go to school. So for me, it just made sense. I'm like, dude, I can go to school one day a week, do something part-time. So I've decided to be a substitute teacher. I don't know where the hell that came from, but <laughs> my, my mom does it. And I, was, and I was like, 
let me just see. And I ended up liking it a lot, uh, substitute teaching. There's some days I come home like these kids, man. But most of the time, um, it's cool because they see you and they're like, oh, I, and I tell them, um, I remember the first time I showed up in one of the classes, you know, you put your name, the sub puts her name, but Mr. Trevino. And then I put Chief on there at the bottom. And they're like, are you Master Chief? Like on um, Halo? On Halo? They always say that, bro. I'm like, no, no, no. I was like, I'm a real chief. And they're like, no, what do you mean? And then I explained everything. They're like, you were in the Navy. And then, you know, the whole, you, have you, have you like, did you see stuff? You know, they start getting all hyped up. So now, like, when I see these kids, because it's, I do middle school. It's sixth, seventh, and eighth. The younger sixth graders be like, hey, chief. And then the eighth graders will be like, hey, what's good, chief? And they'll, like, try to dab you up and stuff. Like, <laughs> so it's cool, you know what I mean? Like, doing that. Um, so I did, in a way, I feel like I'm giving back. So for right now, you know, like this, right now in my life, I feel like I'm I'm running on all cylinders right now, like financially, mentally, physically. Well, physically, I probably get back in the gym, but like better than I was doing a couple months ago or last year. So dude, it's just been a lot, man. Like there's just a whole lot of stuff I probably left out because I was trying to just run through it in my head. But it's just... It's crazy, man. I, I think, you know, I ask myself, like, why does this happen? Why does this stuff happen? Why does bad things happen? And the only thing I've been able to come up with is, like, you probably have a greater purpose. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason. And if it, anything else, you use whatever's happened to you and use it for positive and spread it and show that you can come up on the other side, you know, because there were times, man, I would just, I did not want to live at all. I didn't find a point anymore, even though I have kids and stuff. And it was just, you get stuck in your head, man. And now that I'm like studying addiction, I can see like in the school, like I have these books and stuff and I got to write these papers every week. And you see what happens when addiction gets a grip of you. And no matter what the substance is, it's the science behind it the physiology behind it. Like there's so many factors that goes into it and people that don't really know about it or haven't been affected by it. They just see it as a, as a moral flaw is what they see. And that's what I, that's what I talk about in the podcast when I feel like, you know, I was blackballed and stuff. It was, nobody really saw like what was behind it. They just saw a flaw they have a moral flaw behind them. That guy's flawed. Um, He's not one of us. He's not worthy. We made a mistake. You know what I mean? That type of thing. And you just, that's what makes people like commit suicide, man. Cause that's when I really, really felt alone, 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 like alienated entirely. Um, and that's like, it's not a good feeling, bro. Like, and I understand it from other people's point of views. Like they don't know what's going on. They just hear something, you know, just this guy's getting kicked out for some bad stuff and, oh, you know, they don't want to associate with that. But I think that's when people need you the most. Like, that's when you need the people the most, man. Not the good times, the bad times. That's when you need people. And that's, as they say, that's when you really know who your friends are. It's true. The bad times. Man, yeah. so thank, thank you for being vulnerable. Thank you for sharing all of this. I know that you kept it somewhat PG-13. Uh, and... But thank you for being vulnerable and sharing with us, man. Um, wow. It's not every day 
that someone that has gone through that kind of story that is able or willing to share as much as you did. So we appreciate you. One question that I have for you, and this is for our listeners. Um, you mentioned going to school. Are you using the GI Bill or are you using a different program? Oh, I'm using the GI Bill. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm using the GI Bill right now. Um, I was I was thinking about voc rehab, but I know that's a more in-depth process. And I don't think I, that I needed that at the time if I um, qualified for the GI Bill. I will say, though, when I was working for um, the cable company, they, while you're training, um, they had a, a, like a veteran specialist, you know, with the company, you can apply utilizing your GI Bill and saying that you're, that you're training and they'll give you the E5BAH at the same time. So you're working and the VA is giving you school for it also they're considering it like supplies and stuff like that yeah so yeah chris it, it was uh it was spectrum wasn't it yeah spectrum okay yeah that's they uh they, they love veterans so i know that um and that's that's hard work <laughs> dude <laughs> there's that's not easy work man Dude, I thought it was like, I'm going to go hook up some modems and some cable boxes and go troubleshoot some internet and maybe I'll have to hook up some stuff. No, dude, like this stuff is just, and when I got there, the guys are like, dude, you got here at the worst time. They're like, it's getting, like, we have to run tests inside the house on the equipment outside the house. And then we have to climb the pole every single job you go to. And we have, you have time limits, man. Like they don't, they don't care. They're wow. like, you got to be here. You should only do each job for one hour. And you're like, dude, I got to restring. I got to put wire from the inside of the house all the way two poles down. And these, these, this wire is heavy and you have to like string it out. And then poles, man, they go up there. I was scared when I first started doing it, man. I was real scared. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can't do any of that because one of my uh, my wonderful affections is a broken ear um which limits me on scaling vertical things there that <laughs> oh, but they, they paid they paid me at the same time man um the gi bill so i, I had no idea you could use that the uh after you so after you left Whibby Island, did you go to immediately down to corpus mm-hmm yeah. And how, how was, uh, I, I know, were you still in the Navy when all this stuff was going on with Mel? Um, like that towards the end? Mm-hmm. No. She, <clears throat> when I got to Corpus is when, like literally the day I got to Corpus is when all hell, it just went down from that day. It was like October, November. Yeah. Three months, three months of just boom. And I was out already. I was, I had just started the job on base. So, so man, yeah, man, I'm your, your, your story. Like I, like I told you when you first came on here, man, you inspired me to create podcasting. Um, first starting off with my chart, your five, and then molding into what Yogi and I have created here with uh return of roots. So, like 
your story inspires people, even though it's like some of the worst, worst moments that I, I don't wish upon anybody. So like Yogi said, thank you for, thank you for sharing that, man. Oh yeah, for sure, dude. You know, brother. And, and I, I, I want to kind of highlight the story that you told about how you felt something was pulling you, you know, um, you know, I believe in the same thing, brother. I, I believe that God probably was showing you, hey, you're you're not you're not ready to come yet. And mm -hmm. and you have a lot more work to do, a lot more good work and a lot more good work word to spread, brother. So I, I look forward to seeing more of that, man. When uh when you were getting out during that period of transition that you were in, man when you found out, hey, I'm ADCEPT and you had that year-long year wait, were you able to get all your VA stuff taken care of immediately or did you have to take care of it afterwards? I had to, I had to take care of it afterwards. Um, like I got all my ducks in a row, right? Like I got everything ready. I got my records. I talked to the DAV a lot, um, but I couldn't submit anything till I got out because um, I tried to do... Um, what's the name of it whenever you get out the uh bdd which is your yeah. benefits delivery at discharge yes yes yeah the bdd um i couldn't do that because i didn't have a set date so whenever they looked online my separation date was until like 2023 or something like that 2024 so they're like uh, why are you trying to do this and the navy really didn't tell me anything i was in the dark a lot like i tried to call npc I bugged them all the time, um, but they're just like, I don't know the file somewhere. You're like, oh, okay, cool. And then that's it. So I really couldn't, the only plan A I could do is what I was in control of, which was my records, make sure everything was down. Um, just research, research, researching like things I need to do once I get that date to where all I was waiting on was the paperwork and the date and then boom. Um, Cause the day I finally got my, uh, my paperwork saying the day I was going to get discharged and so boom, then I, I, I shut it all off to, um, to the VA. Cause you really is, you got 10 days to get out. Like once you get that paper, the notification 10 days and you have to, you have to exit the building. <laughs> the, uh, DAV was that the only resource I used? Um, when I was in Washington, yeah, I used the DAV, um, um, I just talked to the guy in base. And then when I got to Texas, I used the Texas Veterans Commission. They just really helped like, um, cause everything was already submitted. And the Texas Veterans Commission was really just like my representative. I assigned them as my representative. Um, so like during the process, me waiting for my ratings and um, when I was gonna have my um, CMP exams, I would talk to them and they could get a little bit more information than I could. Wow, so th this is insane, man. And when you're on this side of the, and I'm like in the middle right now, right? Um, and I can see part of what you're talking about, but when you're on the inside, like all the way in, these are things that you don't think about. And as a chief, as someone that cares for their junior sailors, you wonder how many people you actually could have helped out more when they were transitioning out. 
And, but the problem is that you don't see that. You're not able to see that until you're transitioning yourself out also. And that sucks, man. Um, you mentioned the command alienating you and everyone that you had and you thought that, or not everyone, but a big, a big group of people that you trusted and that you cared about just kind of like dropping you like a hot potato. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that all of that sucks. All of that really sucks as you're going through everything, as you're going through your transition, as you're trying to figure out your life, you know, and that's when you need, people the most yeah and it, it's just it's just harsh man the i'm glad that you're now where you're at and i don't believe personal opinion obviously that you were ever a bad sailor you just didn't have the support that you needed at the right time and that's that's my my opinion i hope um I don't know if anyone, and if I do, well, you know what, they can be okay with it. Um, but now from this side of where I'm at right now, I'm able to see more of how difficult it is to really transition out, right? And being in limbo, oh my God, it is the hardest thing that you can ever think about. Bro. Right? And yes. the only the only thing that people see is, well, you're still in the military, so do something. Go, go get a job. Go, go, go clean the the fans. Go clean whatever. Go, go find something productive to do. You know, you're still getting paid by the military, and you're like, there's so much thing, so many more things that you don't see that I need to take care of to include my medical appointments, my, you know, just like you mentioned, doing the research, and that research is insane. It really is intense, right? Um, yeah. Trying to trying to figure out what you're gonna do when whenever you get out, right? Trying to figure out where you're gonna live. The job is the easiest, but the hardest thing at the same time because you have to get your resume, you have to get, you know, a good position. You got really lucky by having someone, you know, push you in the right direction. Yeah. And a lot of people don't though, and no. and that's how. You know, I, I I want to bring to light the this the numbers, right? The last average was twenty two veterans commit suicide a day. It is argued that now it has doubled to about forty four that commit suicide. There is approximately, as of last year's VA, um records there's 33,000 veterans at any given point in time throughout the year that are homeless right mm -hmm. and then the incarceration rate it's about approximately 30 percent right and what blows my mind is that only only 0.06 percent of the American population ever serves in the military. However, we have an alarming rate of suicide, homelessness, and incarceration. And from the outside looking in, they're like, oh, well, it's, it's 
that you saw war, you're traumatized, you have the PTSD, that's what's causing it, you know, or it, all this traumatic, oh, the only thing that they can think of is, oh, you killed someone. So that's why you're messed up. Yeah. It's not, it's not that it really isn't. It's everything else. And one, one of the things that I loved about that you highlighted on your podcast was about the stigmas, about the trauma, about the um, amount of support that you don't have as it as something like this happens. And, and it's it's horrible, and that's when you need the most help. No, yeah, it's so, it, it's <clears throat> it is a, it's a stigma, man. Like during that time, it was more like. Um, like addiction stuff right anxiety and stuff i think now it's it's i'm like a lot more has happened to me you know what i'm saying where it's like i think i have ptsd more now because of them three months that i was talking about but like with with any addiction man it's like oh you know what i mean like oh like oh this guy that just guy. that guy you can't handle your liquor or something you know what i mean like oh this guy just whatever it's like no man like you don't understand like i'd be getting up in the morning shaking um, like I need to get a drink. I need to get a drink. Like checking the time just so the shakes could go away. You know what I mean? Just so I didn't feel like like shit, so I could like function. Um, and you get, I mean, to get to that part, you know, there is you are making those decisions. You know what I'm saying? You make those first steps to get there. But I think once you're there, like you, it's hard to get pulled out. Like something drastic has to happen. Like you either go through hallucinations or something, you get put in jail, you go to the hospital, something happens to, for me, at least from what I've seen and what I've heard from people at, at different treatment facilities, like you get stuck in that, that dark hole. Like it's, you are not getting yourself out. You know what I'm saying? There's going to be some type of outside force that's going to do it, but it's, you know, they see that and they're like, mm -hmm, this guy just wants to drink. Um, he just wants to, you know, he don't do nothing with his life. He could be doing other stuff, but he likes to just get up in the morning to drink. And it's like, no, nah, man, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to maintain is what I'm trying to do. And there I, should be more. Go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I'm saying there should be more help. I mean, I got out in 2021, so I don't know what's been on there, but it there should be more, more help. And I think, the the treatment facilities should be ran differently the ones they send you to because where i went it was like a prison or not a prison but like jail you know you get escorted places you go past the door they have to burp you know beep you in beep you out um like no strings on anything and i understand at some point but then i went to these other places in the civilian world where i could look for my own like where I could find a place that I wanted to go to with my civilian insurance. And it was like 10 times better. And it, it just helped me so much more. I wasn't apprehensive. I wasn't like, no, I don't want to do this treatment. Like y'all are treating me like a prisoner here. Y'all are doing this. I'm like, I felt like I was in trouble. So I was like, I'm in trouble. Um, going to a place where I feel like free, you know, like I'm here because I want to be here. I can go anytime I want and there will be no repercussion. I have to want to be here on my own. 
And when you're in a place like that and they're like, go ahead, you can walk here, there, we're not making you stay here. I think that helps out so much more. And from what I learned, this, you know, this stigma thing, it's because people are not educated in it or they haven't been touched directly by it to that, that extent. Like even my own mother, like it took this last time in treatment. I was on the phone with her and she was like, mijo, she's like, I saw this thing. She's like, I don't understand. So, well, not understand, but she's like, I'm, I can see why you get consumed with it. And before she was like, just stop already. Like she, after my, my late wife passed away, like I, I was in a bad spot, like I said, and she took the kids. She's like, I'm taking the kids. You do whatever you need to do here. However you're acting, I'm going to take the kids with me to the house. They don't need to be around this. And she was just like, you just need to stop. And you know, that type of thing. And then this last time she was like, I understand. Like uh, I told her to watch, um, I want to make, I'm going to make sure I say the right, the right name real quick. I, I'm actually going to write a paper on this. My, yeah. It's called four good days. Have you heard of that? Movie? No, I have not. It's a movie. Four yeah. good days. Four good days. I think anybody, anybody dealing with, I probably, I jumped the gun on that one, but I don't want to forget about that. Like <laughs> <laughs> I just thought about it. Yeah. Don't worry about it, man. And we'll give you a second chance later yeah. on to say it's, it again. But it, it's it's good for anybody dealing with like a like addiction and like like the real struggle of it and you know being around people that just have gotten sober and relapsed, gone sober, relapsed, gone sober, relapsed, until where you just have completely given up on that person. But and in the movie shows like the family side of it and then the person side of it, like how hard they're struggling to just stay sober. And there's so many like outside things that make you just want to to do it um i had my i told my mom and the kids to watch that and they were like wow so that like really highlights it i kind of want to you know thank you for sharing that and the thing is we all deal with substance abuse Mm -hmm. in some ways it may not look the same as what you go through i'm telling you here brother i haven't drank since july uh, I went out and had a little too much fun while I was in Japan and I instantly regretted it because it took me away from being where I needed to be at for my wife the next day. Um, I was just, couldn't I just have just one drink? You know, I had to go out on town. Yeah. Not- just enjoy the company and brother like i i get it man i i truly do and i i was in denial i was it, up, it happens I was man in denial man I, I was in denial of my um of what i had and the, the the thing is is it's not just me but it's it's i have a whole if you looked at my family history it's like chris you you had no chance, bud. No chance. That's a real thing, man. The, the family thing is, it's true. Like the genetics is entirely true. Like, I'm, I'm sorry, I cut you off on that one. No, no, man. And, you know, we, we need to find ways to cope with our addictions. And you said it earlier, man. You know, your counselor was giving you the, that golden nugget that he knew by kind of sitting down and 
uh, hanging out with you and learning your story. It's like, you know, Trey is a guy that needs to be helping other people for him to want to help himself. Yes. And when, when I started helping other people and I started taking my own physical fitness and well-being into consideration and, you know, when I, Oh, I was I was pretty depressed when I started drinking then heavily last the last bit of time. You know, um I just got my limb do status. I missed the deployment. I missed the I was gonna be, you know, the top dog, you know, on the ship running the flight deck for the mm-hmm. entire keg. I had a lot of missed opportunities, man. And it just—I was just in a in a bad place, man. And I didn't want to take any of the—I um, didn't want to take any of the consideration of like what it actually was that was bothering me. I was just like, I'm just going to drink. Oh, I'm in pain. Oh, I'm just going to drink. You know, I don't want to take the the uh, lala pills they gave me because I just want to drink. Like I'd rather drink than take the the stuff that they were prescribing me. Mm-hmm. I was self-medicating, and yep. I thought you know I was doing the right thing by not taking those other pills and by doing all that. And then it's like all the time that I wasted recovering, man, and the time that I wasted not being around my own kids. And you know my kids would be like, oh. Is dad, it was, you know, is that, is that an adult drink or, you know, like my kids shouldn't know. Like, Dude, it's terrible, man. Like, it's really is that part because, like, my, my son is 13 now. My daughter, she's, she's 10. And when it was just us, right? Like, mom's not here no more, right? Just me and the kids. My son took on this role where he thought he was the, he had to keep everybody in charge. He had to keep everybody in control. This dude knew where I was hiding my alcohol. And, he, and I thought I was slick. I thought I was, I would drink. I'd go outside real quick, drink, come back in. And he'd be like, hey, where are you going? Like, we'd be playing Madden or something. <laughs> like, like, I'd go get something from the car real quick. He's like, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. He followed me. I'm like, dude, can you not follow me? He's like, yeah, I know what you're going to do. And then other times I got drink, and he already knew that I was drinking. And I try to hide it underneath, like, my breath and everything. And, like, they are, he already knew. You know, they should not, he shouldn't know that. Like, he knows how it smells, how it looks, how I start acting different, like my personality, everything, you know. And, I mean, we used to have big old parties. Like I said, when I was stationed in Miramar and the kids, like, knew, okay. And for me, I'm like, oh, we're just hanging out. We're having big barbecues like we're used to. But to where he sees it, to where he don't like it. Like, he don't like, he don't want no alcohol in the house. He don't want to be around it. He don't want nothing like that. Um, And it it shouldn't happen but it like like when the substance takes over like nothing else matters you think you're hiding it from people um but all you want you just want to want to self-medicate because it's a quick it's a quick fix like compared to like you're talking about the pills a lot of these antidepressant pills they take weeks to go into effect to where you don't really even realize it because it's a slow transition onto them compared to like you drink you're like i'm drinking i'm gonna feel good i'm gonna laugh i'm and that's what they would notice. They would notice my whole demeanor would change. I'd be laughing. I'd want to do stuff. I had to, like, I want to do all these things. And normally I'm just like depressed. 
So they, I have like a, I still have a lot of like regret and guilt and I should have done a whole lot of things different. But at the times you don't, you don't know, like you don't realize it. You don't realize it till afterwards. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. And it's, it's funny because a, a really good friend of mine, um, you know, I, it's funny how you talk about like, you know, your brothers and sisters that you serve with in the Navy and the chief's mess and stuff like that, man. And I felt like I was letting them down then. And I felt like, I felt like I was cut off. Like that's, that's how I felt, but it was all in my head, dude fucking all in my head nobody ever told me that i was cut off why weren't they talking to me well they were on deployment mm-hmm. you, you know what i'm saying why are yeah. they why, why don't they reach out well it's because they're trying to cover my my spot and their spot at the same time man they got their own struggles and i was inside of my head thinking that you know they thought that i was just faking it and mm-hmm being a little, you know, being a little whiny pants or whatnot. And just, but it's like, no, man, like when I had, when I had medical look at me and they're like, how did you even get out to Japan? And I'm like fighting, I was fighting it. And then I was like, man, it's hard for me to even hard for me to even operate. And, um, you know, the, the first week I was here in San Diego, I ended up in the ER. Dang. Next to me. Next to record. this guy. We both <laughs> ended up. We both ended up in the ER at the same time. Um, it's not where we and met. What's funny? What's funny about that story is <laughs> we were both living in. So he came from Japan, right? We're both living in my house. He's hanging out with me until he gets his situation figured out, and. I tell my wife, because I had a horrible episode, like a horrible episode. You know how whenever you're drunk and the world just starts spinning, right? Yeah. And then you they say, well, you throw, throw one leg off the bed and, you know, it'll, it'll get better, right? Bro, I hadn't had anything to drink. I just came from, you know, I, it was in the morning. I woke up. I was excited. I talked to my wife. I felt fucking amazing. That was one of those great days. And then I took a shower. I took a shower. My wife's getting ready. We we're going to go somewhere. I don't know where the fuck we were going. Oh, actually, one of our other buddies that was here from Japan, um, one of the other chiefs, uh, and his wife, they, they came here to give birth. And I take a shower where we're supposed to go hang out with them. And then I, I lay down just as my wife is getting ready. And then, dude, my world starts spinning. And I tell my wife, I'm like, um, I don't feel good. And my wife is a, an absolute angel, right? She's like, all right, what can I do? She's like, I was like, put me on the bed. So she put me on the bed. She's trying to get me all comfortable. And then after that, you know, she's like, well, let me make you some food. Bro, by the time she came, she went downstairs to the kitchen. I was I was throwing up. Like I 
rolled myself out of bed and I just like fell. It was like three, three feet from the, from the ground. I landed and I just crawled to the bathroom and I was just puking everywhere. Oh man. And then I like, I'm like yelling at her, but I know Chris is there because I, I knew he wasn't feeling well too. And I don't want to yell, but I'm like, mama, mama, right? I'm yelling at her. She doesn't hear me. She's doing her own, you know, she's trying to cook me some food. And I crawl down the steps and then she sees me. She freaks out. She's like, you're white. Are you okay? You're, are you going to die? And I was like, I'm okay. <laughs> just a little dizzy, right? I'm just, you know, trying to play it off. Yeah. And then the only reason I got out of bed was because my buddy was here to pick up his crib, right? Uh, for the car. And I like stumbled over there, made, made it to the garage. And they're like, Yogi, what the hell's wrong with you? I'm like, I don't feel good, man. Like, I'm going to go back to lay down after this. They're like, all right, well, we're going to take off. They took off. I came back. I sat down. I tried to crawl up the stairs. And then I told my wife, I was like, this is not going to get better. Like, I'm I'm feeling worse already. I, like, I'm about to throw up again. Oof. And I'm like, we, I called one of the chiefs that was here. Her name is Mo. She took me to the emergency room. And I didn't want to wake Chris up, right? Because I knew he wasn't feeling well. And I go to the emergency room, I sit down, and then we get there, and I'm like, hey, Chris, I just want to let you know, uh, once I kind of got, like, situated, mm -hmm. right, uh, that was, like, three, four hours later, right? I'm like, I just want to let you know that I'm at the emergency room, so if you need us, sorry, bro, we can't help you out. He's like, don't worry, I'm on my way over there, I'm on the ambulance right now. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit, dude. <laughs> And then I hear his little fucking laugh <laughs> as he's like almost two beds over. And I'm like, holy smoke that you, you can't, you can't make this shit up. You know, that's crazy. That's so, dang. Yeah. Um, but no, so that was, that was our introduction to uh, our own symptoms. And it's funny because I've dealt with this and I thought I was just being, as he, as he called it, uh, Sissy little pants, whatever he calls it, right? <laughs> uh, and I dealt with that for like almost 10 years, bro. Uh, and, you know, I was like, ah, you know, just me being me, whatever, seasick or dizzy, whatever. Um, and then he started telling me, I was like, dude, that sounds way too close. Like, have you been like, keeping an eye on what I'm telling you? Have I been talking in my sleep? What's going on? He's like, no, I have this shit. And I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. And those are things that we don't know, right? Um, and then kind of circling back to the whole PTSD, people that don't have it or that are being tough, they won't help you because they think it's almost like contagious, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. That if you open up and you're vulnerable and you try to address it, then they're going to get contagious or be part of that group that helps, you know. Something that I've heard is the, that a, one addiction can only be replaced by a different addiction, but it never goes away, right? So it's a, and it's really scary, um, you know, struggling through alcohol because we get embedded that's part of our culture. Unfortunately, that's part of our culture. As much as we have steered away from that being 
what what is a sailor, a drunken sailor kind of thing, personality yeah. or mentality, but it still is part of our culture, especially whenever you are deploying all the time, as you mentioned, whenever you're on debts and stuff like that, that is part of what is the norm, is the custom. So it, yeah. it makes things more difficult, man. So It is, wow. man. And, and I mean, there's, I don't have anything against people that drink, you know what I mean? Like drinking or people having a good time and stuff like that. There's nothing. I wish I could be that person. You know what I mean? Like, I wish that I could just be a person that could drink and, you know, maybe have three or four and then that's it. And then I don't drink again. You know, those people like, oh, I drink, I drink like once a month or something. I'm like, how do you do that? You know what I mean? It's like, I, cause I, I just, I, I can't understand that. I don't have nothing yeah. against it. It's just people like me, like you're saying, um, I've heard that many times too. Like one addiction will replace another one. You always replace one with another one. Um, you know, there's different views on that, but to a certain extent, it makes sense because you have what they, what, what they call is like an addictive personality is what it is. Ad addictive personality. And that goes back to the genetics thing. Like they'll have, Sometimes they have you draw it out. Um, it's called, um, I forgot what it's called, but it's like your family, right? Your grandparents. And then you put a little thing, half of them, like if they have mental illness, you write something. And if they were addicted, you write something. If they were not, you leave them alone. And then you look at your parents and you do the same thing. And then you look at your siblings and then yourself and you're like, wow, I can see how it got carried out or it skipped a generation. Because um, there's that, but there's stuff called epigenetics too. And epigenetics is like, addiction and stuff can literally go down to your dna level and the reason that you're susceptible to it is because it literally can alter your dna so when you you know you pass on you know you to your kids and stuff their dna's already predisposed to it because your dna has changed to an extent with that sometimes it does sometimes it doesn't but that's what epigenetics is it can it can show up generations down the line and I had no idea. You know, they were like, oh, you're predisposed, you know, if your parents drank and stuff like that. You're like, okay, how are they going to pass addiction down to me? Like, you know what I mean? Like, maybe because I did I see it? Maybe it's, I thought it was like a mental thing. And now, like, I'm in school, I'm like, no, it's, it can be, you know, what you see, you know, trauma and stuff like that. And then it also literally is in, in your in, blood. In your blood. And it's like, it kind of makes sense because I mean, the first time I ever drank, I was like, man, I like this like i like this i want more you know what i mean and it's like that you know smoking weed and stuff like that when you're young i didn't feel the same way i'm like oh i like weed it makes me you know oh, have a good time drink i was like i like the way this makes me feel like way more and it's just that pre predisposition but it doesn't happen to everybody and that's what i'm saying like people that have had like oh this did a little bit if People that have had like that can just drink once a month and stuff like that, you know, they don't know better because they are like, I can drink once a month and let it go. Why can't other people, you know, and then that's I think that's where that stigma happens because you look morally. More stronger, morally, you look because it looks like a moral flaw whenever you're, you're addicted to something and nobody wants to be associated with that, because I think, like you said, it makes you it makes you vulnerable, like it can contagious thing but it's also it makes people real uncomfortable and people we don't like being uncomfortable you know what i mean we're going to remove ourselves from that entirely so i think that's that's what happens um 
that and then we get in our heads it's it's just so many variables man with with this type of stuff that it's never like just one thing there's just so many variables you get stuck in your head so you alienate yourself as well like me i was embarrassed so like people didn't talk to me and i thought other people didn't like me i thought my own friends didn't want to talk to me you know just so many different things and some like you said sometimes it's just in your head it's funny whenever you speak and this is why it's so important to watch out what what you funnel into your body and whenever you're drinking a lot right you're not funneling <laughs> positivity into no. your life maybe like a temporary high um but it's so important to make sure that you're funneling good things and the company that you keep around you is also the type of people that you want to be associated with as far as like you want to be successful in life well you better go hang out with some successful people you, you want to you it's okay to be the small man in the room as long as you keep on learning keep on learning you know keep pushing yourself even more and more and you you want to you know you want to live a sober life well then start doing sober things go outside go go spend time with your family out there like it's not all about drinking in fact you know I, i've gone to a bar recently and i did not have a single drink and that was that was kind of a a test and you know what the the allure of alcohol it actually lost its grip on me as i sat there and watched all these people become more and more loose with their tongue and that with mm -hmm. not in a good way you, you know what i'm yeah. saying so it's like i'm sitting here and i'm like i i really i, I feel like that devil has been released mm -hmm. and and i I'm not saying that I'm never going to drink, but what I'm going to say is that it's lost. It's, it's lost. It's allure to me. Mm -hmm. There's, and when I started looking at it as something that I can, um, pretty much something that, Hey, it takes away from who I am. It doesn't add to me. And I can, I can have fun and be my, be a better version of myself without it you know what i'm saying so and then wake up the next morning without a hangover so that's kind of oh that's a, that's the best part right there <laughs> no nah, but that that's that's amazing man because it like for me you know what i'm saying i know i'm an alcoholic like i know because i'll go to like at the beginning i'm like super motivated like you know like i'm going to school i'm gonna do this i'm trying to help people oh man i don't want nothing to do with alcohol and stuff and then slowly i'm like man i really miss that you know what I mean, and that's the very important time. They call it the pink cloud, in like addiction circles and stuff, right? Like it's the pink cloud. You're right, you're like, man, I'm feel great. It's like this, but it's like your body also has this burst of energy, all these chemicals and stuff that you didn't, you were suppressing and stuff. It's finally being able to replenish. You feel healthy. You feel everything. But whenever you start like that person that's addicted, you know what I'm saying? That's the most important time. You got to be like, nah. And they call it like rolling the tape. That's one thing I, you roll the tape. You're like, what's going to happen? I do drink. Maybe because there's been times, man, I'll go and I'll be like, I don't need a drink. And I don't, or I'll have one drink and I won't drink again for like two weeks. Right. I'm like, see, I can do it. And I do a little bit more and do a little bit more and do a little bit more. And then boom, 
and it's like you you got to stay active you have to stay doing something physically mentally like routine routine's very important especially for people like us to get out because we're so used to a routine um and when you're out of it it feels good because you're like i don't got to do nothing so it's real easy to get lazy because there's no oversight there's nobody like i have to do this because because I have to, I'm in the Navy, you know, I'm in sailor 24 seven, but like for me, I have to stay doing something now here in the civilian world. Cause the last two, and I'm in my hometown. It's like even easier to just fall off, you know, and really kind of helping me manage my calendar, <laughs> believe it or not. So I read some, I read some stuff called, uh, I read a book called this naked mind. And then I read that like about, probably like five or six times a friend of mine alicia medina um she she hooked me up with that book and thank god she did she probably changed my life you know if you ever had somebody just kind of hey check this out and then all of a sudden your life completely changes a different trajectory that's what alicia is for me she put my that's life awesome. on a completely different trajectory um and I know you're listening. Thank you. Uh, but it's like, I did that. And then I started managing my calendar. When I started going through like, Hey, what is my day going to look like? You know, every single day I started going through, you know, my calendar, you know, it's crazy because then I eliminate and control my own time. Instead of just letting time happen to me, man. It's been kind of like, game changer in my entire life yeah the, because it is man the, the routine knowing planning yeah it's because it, i mean it is it being in the in the navy and stuff and then getting out it's just you know like i'm just trying to think of a lot of things right now like getting out because like that routine thing has really helped me out like knowing and doing it and i think because people have been on the outside they're like no i just wing it i mean wing it you wing stuff. They're like, yeah, we just do it on the fly. I'm like, no, I have to plan. I'm like, I have to know what I'm going to do. I have to see how I'm going to do it and then do it. And if that's going to fail, then I need a backup plan. And they're like, and then I start noticing like that Navy stuff starts, starts <laughs> kicking in, man. And it's like, it's always, I'm always like, and dude, you know, you see those memes and stuff. They're like, oh, there's the veteran with his hat and his little flag and stuff. And they're like, Haha, look at that dumb guy. And then there's, so many times I'm just like, oh yeah, when I was in the Navy, like, oh yeah, I was in the Navy. I can't, oh yeah, I was a chief in the Navy. Oh, you know, I see, I used to load bombs. You know, like I catch myself doing it all the time. I'm like, dude, I sound like a douchebag, man. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm not even trying to, like, it's just, I get all excited. Like, oh, or like, I'll see a veteran, an old man or something. And I'm like, hey, so you were in the Navy? Yeah. And then you just start chopping it up. Like, like it's it's just different when you're there is a bond that's 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 there forever, man. Yes. So I I, I want to expand on something that you mentioned right now about the how people see us, right? Uh, and I was told recently by a person that is quote unquote familiar with the military. They said. And it, it was meant, as, meant more as an insult than anything else. And they asked me a question. They're like, hey, so you know that there's two type of people, right? 
there's doers and there's thinkers. And I already knew where this was going, right? The doers do, the thinkers just think and they don't do anything, right? And in my mind, I, I was trying not to be rude. Mm-hmm. Um, but in my mind, I was like, yes, there's doers and there's thinkers. And there's people that think before they do to execute precisely, right? Yes. To think about all the outcomes and then you execute so you're not wasting anybody's time, right? And I think I I replied with, I, I didn't say Navy Chief or anything, but that's what I wanted to say. I was like, you know, you're right. There's thinkers and there's doers. But what's better? A doer that just goes and stumbles or a doer that thinks before he acts. Therefore, whenever he acts, he's precise with his execution. And he was taken back. Like, what does that even mean? I don't know what that means. And it's like, exactly. So yeah. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm going to move on forward because he pissed me off. Like, honestly, he was one of those people that just, like, pushed, pushed that like button. That nerve, yeah. And pissed me off because I was like, <laughs> and I was bringing, like, all these things and all these things that I'm actually executing right now. Mm-hmm. But they take time, right? Um and he, this person missed out on that opportunity. That train already passed him by. But had he been able to be a honest person, legitimate and true to his word, and not just trying to get financial gains, he would have benefited so much from riding this train, right? And that's what we do as chiefs. We talk about it. We think about it. We poke holes on whatever the problems are. And that's what we talk out loud. It's like, hey, Trey, what do you think about this? Oh, this shit's stupid because of this. Or, bro, that's a great idea. However, I don't understand this. Tell me more about it. I'm like, well, I don't, I don't understand it either. So that, that means I got to think about it, right? Yeah. So we poke holes on it, not to be mean, but to bring awareness to the deficits. And then with that being said, boom, we move forward. We come, come out with a better plan. We execute, right? which is insane, but no, man, thank you for, for bringing that up. That, that was, dude, I, I didn't want that to be unnoticed. Dude, we, in the civilian world, man, like, uh, in one of my interviews for Spectrum, they're like, so you were, you know, you were, uh, you were in charge of a lot of people. You're they're like, why are you going to do this? I'm like, I got to stay in my hometown and stuff. They're like, well, you know, being in the military is not going to get in the way. Right. I'm like, what do you mean? They're like, you're going to be like yelling at people and making people do stuff and da 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 da. I'm like, what? I'm like, you really think that? They're like, yeah. They're like, we just were kind of apprehensive that you're going to be like just chewing people out for no reason. I'm like, I'm fine. I'm like, I've talked to you the way I'm talking to anybody else. And it's funny, they have that, you know, that they're like, we have other veterans here and that's the way they are. So we just want to make sure we're not going to get somebody on here like that. I was like, all right. But I can see why, though, man, because like you're talking about, we, we, we're, we're trying to think of like a better way to do stuff. And they don't give a damn in the civilian world, man. Like they don't give it unless you're working like on base and stuff where they understand like, hey, I got this, you know, whatever. They didn't like they don't care about how to make it better as long as it's that money. Like as long as the money is being made. That's all they care about, like. So you could see how people like us, what we're used to and then getting out. And then it's like, I'm like, hey, there's a better 
way we could do this. And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, uh, but it changed because corporate said this. And you're like, well, okay, well, I'm just saying. And they don't, they don't listen. They don't care about what it is. So then your head, you're like, like, I don't know why I'm doing this when it could be so much better right now. If they just change this one little thing. And it's, you can't, it's not like the guys come together and we're going to go vote. And we're going to be like, we're going to change this new thing. Um, and I remember the first day I had my training, um, my, my supervisor was in there and he used to be in the Marine Corps, but he was there and he did like four years and got out. He was a supply guy for like, um, for, for the Marine Corps aviation. And I remember I was there and he's like, all right, uh, are there's a guy that was like a, a leader or something like that? Who, who, who's the guy? So I was like, all happy. He's like, Hey, leave all that shit at the door. He's like, I don't care who you're in charge of or what you did in the Navy and stuff. You need to leave that at the door. He's like, you're going to have to do what I say and all this stuff. I'm like, here we go. Like, we're going to have this type of guy. And I would talk to him sometimes. And, and I just, I think he took it as a threat. Like, oh, there's another military person here. And he's been in way longer than I was. And he's going to come to try to take my job. And I told him, I was like, I'm not here to take nobody's job or nothing. I'm here just to do my thing and just keep my head under the radar and just get my paycheck and that's it. But it's hard, you know, taking orders from somebody else that you think is like, they should not be in that position at all. Like, and you don't, you don't talk to the next person. You know what I'm saying? There is no skipping, no chain of command in the civilian where you get fired for that real quick. And I just feel like for me working at spectrum, I just, I, I stopped going, man. I just, I wasn't happy it pissed me off like and i want to be my own person like i thought i was meant for more like how am i gonna do all this time in the military get out and be a damn cable guy you know i'm like i need to use that gi bill so i'm using <laughs> Running around like jim carrey being the yeah, cable guy for real man like <laughs> dude it was that was fun i mean you meet a lot of people you see a lot of different types of houses but it's just uh, the leadership thing is, and they do try to help out veterans a lot. Like they do have a lot of stuff. It's just, I think for me, it's, I thought I would be able to do it. I thought mentally, like I can handle it, but no, like I, I couldn't. So I'm doing a whole different profession that I'm aiming for now. Like no physical labor. I'm not going to work in aviation, military. I mean, maybe military eventually, but like I'm gonna try to be an addiction counselor and like the whole reason is because I want to help other people like other veterans, you know, civilians, people that dealt with grief and loss, people that, you know, addiction in itself like that. And just know like that you, people can't make it on the other side. That's the whole thing. That's like the biggest way I think I could share my story and stuff is to professionally try to help somebody like be like, look, I'm sharing my story, but I'm telling you like, I know what I know what you're going through because I went through it myself. Like I'm, you know, a counselor, but I'm a regular person as well. And so that's why that's a big reason I chose that um, to go that route. But I'm also, dude, like I was talking about the the substitute teaching. They're gonna make me a, a permanent substitute coach here in my hometown. That's pretty. That's pretty badass. Um, do you like a particular sport? And I just do PE for right now, like. Like there's an app and it like comes up with jobs. And so I just started steadily always picking PE, 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 and just talking to other coaches and stuff. And they lost one guy and he was just like a 
paraeducator. He wasn't a certified anything. And I'm like, hey, well, I got enough college hours and stuff, I think, to do that. And they're like, oh. And so they talked to me. They told me they could bring me on. They were going to hire me full time to be a coach with them, but I had to go to school. And I'm like, well, I got to go to school, man. Like, there's going to be one day a week I can't. So they couldn't do that. But the coaches were cool, man. He was like, next year, if you want to come back and be a coach, like, you can help coach a sport and stuff. So I'm like, for real? He's like, yeah, you're just with a, you're just like, you're not a coach or assistant coach. You're like helping us out. So you go with the team, you can help coach and stuff like that. Like football, you know, one of the positions or something. So that was pretty cool. It kind of got me like thinking like, man, maybe I should just do this, but I gotta, I don't want to be just jumping around. You know what I mean? You know, we, uh, we have found some resources that I know up in Woodby Allen, like, I never heard of any transitional classes or any reintegration classes or anything else like that. So we, we've been finding all these resources out there. Like we just got done with our whole entire reboot. Uh, for first four, four real episodes was all about reboot. And there's programs out there that are run by nonprofits that sit there and help you figure out who you are. And the thing is, is like when you were sitting there in that limbo mode, that would have been the greatest time for someone high up officially saying, Hey, like our, our people that are med hold our people that are in limbo, our people that are, there's these programs out there. Why don't we have them do it? Even if they stay in, in fact, it could actually probably promote some of the people too want to stay in because they realize that that the Navy actually wants to help them heal during that time frame. And brother, um, I, I wish I wish you could have known about some of the resources that we found, man. But it sounds like you eventually found your way, brother. That's that's good. Yeah, yeah, I did, man. I did. Um, took a while, you know, but but I got there eventually and i aim to stay stay the course you know what i mean I, like i don't plan on staying here down in south texas i think once i get my degree i want to move up to like austin or something um yeah this place isn't really a wonderful place to raise your your kids um like my son's over here he thinks he's a little thug now because he lives over here in south texas where i'm from and i'm like dude you grew up in washington at whitby island and Miramar, San Diego, sunny San Diego, California. Like, come on, man. You were born in Lemoore. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And he just laughs. But, you know, just stuff like that. And I could just see, like, the difference from being over there and the kids over there versus over here. Being down here, small town, not a good economy, not a lot of jobs. You know, two hours from the border. All the drugs that run through here, like everything. It's not the best. It's home for me. You know what I mean? Like it's home for me. I like the food, the culture, all that stuff for me. And I know how to be here. Um, but if like the kids and stuff, I don't want them to, to fall to the same things that I did. I'd rather, you know, be in a bigger town, more opportunities, more stuff to do, sports, academic stuff. That's, that's what I want to do. So, what are some ways that we can help you continue your path of success? I mean, just 
spreading the word, man, like that, you know, about this addiction thing. Um, and just, I mean, if you, you have people that are struggling, just send them my way, you know, you know, I can talk to them and that helps me to further, to further my, my path in sobriety and staying like this is just for me, man, is just spreading this word about that addiction is real. And, and it's not just like one and done. Like some people are going to go through it many, many times and then you just have to support them. There are times when you just have to let them go, but it doesn't mean like stigmatize them. I'd say support them, but sometimes you have to support them from afar, but just, you know what I'm saying? All love. There is hard love, but like when you're stuck in those things, you don't care about nothing else. So I would just say, just spread the word, man. So I think we should go into the save rounds. What do you think, Chris? Yeah. um, And the save rounds are alibis. All right. Let's go to the bonus round. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So we got a, we got a few questions for you, brother. And first one is going to be, do you have any books or podcasts or any kind of media that can help people figure themselves out? So one book that I read that I really liked, and you know, we're talking about addiction a lot. So I like this. It's called don't let the bastards grind you down. Right. Um, and it's basically, it's like 50 things, every alcoholic or addict and early recovery should know. And it really talks about this really kind of opened up my eyes when I read it. Cause I was in, in denial a lot about being an alcoholic and this, everything it talked about was stuff that I had been going through the shakes needed in the morning, needed at night, needed to maintain. Like it was explaining. I'm like, wow, that is me. Like, I'm not the only person that's like that. So when I read that book, it was like, Hmm, that really got the wheels turning for me. So it's called, um, don't let the bastards grind you down. And then, like I was talking about earlier, the movie, uh, four good days. Like if you think you're dealing with addiction and stuff, I'd, I'd say, check it out and tell me what you, I mean, it's a little bit more in depth it's about a girl doing heroin and stuff, but you, it's like an extreme grip on you. And, or if you are going through addiction and you know, you are, and your family doesn't understand you, or you think they don't really understand or you have friends that don't understand why it is you're doing or what's happening. I'd say, have them watch this movie for good days. It's on Hulu right now. Um, it, it's a real good movie. It's probably one of my favorite movies when it comes to this stuff. So I would like to ask you two questions. First one is what advice would you give your pre-service self before, you know, 17, 15, 18, whenever you were about to join or whenever you had that mindset that you were going to join, what advice would you give yourself that would make you, that you think would make you be successful in the military and as a whole life? And then the second question that I have is, and and I I know you talked about this, but I want to clarify it even better. What advice would you give yourself as a transitioning member once you found out or right as you thought that you were going going to be going through the transition what advice would you give yourself so to the first one man i would just like i said at the beginning i did real good i would say don't get comfortable i would tell myself that do not get comfortable where you at like when you achieve your goal and you think you've reached the pinnacle of where you should be don't 
don't get comfortable and think you're going to be all right right there. Um, and just appreciate everything you have when you have it. Like, do not take it. Don't take anything for granted is what I would say. And then to the second one, I would just say, like, just research the, the, the GI Bill a lot more. I would research the GI Bill heavily because it's and, and the benefits, all the benefits that come with a disability rating, I would look more into. Because with 100% also, you're, my kids have insurance through the VA, having 100%. I'm not working, right? So they're, they, have in, they have CHAMP VA. It's not TRICARE. It's through the VA if you have 100%. And then because I'm 100%, they, their school will get paid for whenever it's time for them to go to college. It's not me transferring the GI Bill. This is the VA paying for them to go to school because I'm 100%. So it's just things like that. Um, and I would definitely look into some how life insurance works um, and what to do whenever that happens. Because that nobody thinks about that stuff. And that's like, a whole different beast to deal with planning for funerals and hospice. And when somebody passes away and what do you do afterwards? And then the money from the life insurance and how do you get it? How do you beneficiary? And that's a whole, a whole different ballgame too that people don't realize, you know what I'm saying? 30 years, 20, 30, 40 years old, nothing's going to happen. You know what I mean? This is going to happen to me and my family. We're fine. We don't have to worry about that till later. So how can we, and our listeners get a hold of you. So let me see if I got it over here. So I'm on, I'm on, I do a lot of stuff on TikTok, right? And then it's more just documenting my journey. Like, hey, I usually be like, um, day 116 sober, and I'll just give a little update. Um, and so that's on TikTok. And it's just sober vino. That's what it is, just sober V-I-N-O, sober vino. Um and then I make music and stuff on the side and it's pretty much talking about the same stuff. It's more of a therapy for me and it's on Apple music, Spotify, anything like that, that streams. And it's just a uh, sober minded. That's just the artist name I go off of. And I just make some music on there. And that's, that's really it. Like when it comes to this stuff online, if they want to get a hold of me. Silver Vino. Yeah. Silver Vino. I was bumping that earlier. You're bumping, bumping yeah, it. yeah. I was bumping it, man. I was uh, probably making my uh, my uh, neighbors here in the barracks, <laughs> dude. It's and I, I mean, I start, I used to, you know, freestyle and stuff like that. Like, you know, it's the way it is out here when I was young, and then I was in rehab, man, and started listening to some beats. I'm like, man, I started hearing some beats, and I like the way they sound. I started writing. I used to know how to record and stuff. So I ordered, a, a, I didn't have my mics from here because there's way too much. So I ordered like a little cheap, like the, the, the Yetis. And I yeah. hooked it up to a laptop and I just recorded uh, some music. And then I sent it to some guy that I know that he, uh, his name's uh, Eric. He mixes master stuff real good. And he mixed it for me. And I, I was like, man, that sounds good. And I was just looking just like, how do you, how do people get this music online? And I, it's like so simple. To just push your music yeah. online. You just, the quality has to be good and your levels have to be good. And then you just push it. 
And so I just started doing that little, I started showing people and they liked it. And we'll see, it's just more of like a therapy for me and just trying to show other people through music. Um, you know, some of the struggles I've wanted to go like real deep on some stuff, but I want, like, I really want those to be real good. So I still need to write more and record and stuff. Yeah, man. You know, maybe you could, uh, write, write a return to roots, you know, going back to your roots, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Bro, that would be dope. If you could, uh, if you could do an intro for us like that, that would be hey, epic. I can do I can, every single episode. <laughs> I can make beats. I can do stuff like that. I can. Hey, I'm not sure if you stuff. heard the music, man. I made those beats. <laughs> yeah. I heard some of it. Yeah. Yeah. That was, uh, that was me. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's not bad, but hey, uh, <laughs> it's pretty good for what for what we have. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's oh, no, our yeah, yeah. Level. As long as you I, just have some. Honestly, it's a lot easier to do like on an iPad or iPhone, and so like I was just sitting there, just mixing it, man. Just it's like, okay, that sounds good. And then, you know, you set up your different instruments and stuff like that, and you're just like, okay, I want to do a beat like this, and you know, just like in the movies where they or you know the guys like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like just tapping away on the and then and okay, cool. I got a beat. Okay, I need a strum or good uh guitar, and then you're like strum, 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 and then they mix it all together, man. And you can put some drums. Dude, that's all it is. You know, that's it. That's all it is, man. But that's a whole different beast too. Whenever you get into to that, like it gets crazy. But no, I that I mean that's something I like to do, you know. I like to mess with you know, music, record, write media stuff like this you know record like this stuff right here like the the, the mic i have my because i have the road broadcaster still i have it right here next to me and then you know i got my my midi keyboard here with the pads right here a little light right here so that type of stuff's always like interested me yeah man it, it it's awesome how doing getting into your craft kind of figure out what works for you you know uh that woodworking and uh hanging out with the family you know that's kind of kind of my oh and shooting guns shooting guns can't do that here in san diego <laughs> I, just, I just go to the ranch man i just i don't shoot a lot of guns i just but we go hunting though like i don't have like crazy ars and stuff like that i just got me a 308 22 and 12 gauge shotgun you just go to the ranch go shoot a deer i think this weekend we're gonna go shoot some turkeys so nice. Well, Trey, from the bottom of our hearts, we want to thank you for being here. And we want to thank you for sharing everything that you have shared with us. Um, it's difficult to be open. Uh, I myself are going, I myself, I'm going through some of what you talked about and some of what your podcast is talking about. And you mentioned that it's difficult, especially opening up and being vulnerable and to a certain extent, not being re-traumatized because that's, that's the hardest part, right? And having to go through that, it, it really, you don't know how much it really affected you until you start opening up that can, you know, that can, that the mystical can of worms. And 
as as I was telling you earlier, I really do. Chris has told me a lot about your podcast, right? And I didn't. I was a little bit of afraid to listen to it because I didn't want to go down that rabbit hole. Yeah. But today I was like, well, you know, I don't have any more choice today. Today we're going to talk to him. So you know what? <laughs> Screw it. I, I'm going. I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump in. Yeah, and um, but seriously, man, thank you for creating that. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you for having people that were going through the same struggle and sharing those experiences, knowing that you're not alone. And even and more importantly, feeling you're not alone. It's what we need to continue forward. So thank you, bro. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem, dude. No problem at all, man. I, it gets easier to share stuff the more you talk about it. You know what I mean? Um, it, it wasn't easy at the beginning. Um, even mentioning that I was in trouble. Like, there's even two some people sometimes. How, you did 13 years. Why'd you get out? And I'd be like, oh, my wife was sick. I had to get out. And that's all I'll say. Like, I won't mention anything <laughs> about getting in trouble. Because I don't feel like talking about the whole blah, 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 blah. Now, if it's like, like this or other people or people that I think understand, or people that are going through something and I think it benefit of like, well, you know, actually I got kicked out, man. And I'm look what I'm doing now. So you can do it. That's what I just, that's, that's my whole thing. Like on TikTok, I try to tell people like you can, you can do it. Like, even if it's one person that believes in you, like just cling on to that. Like there are people that care about you there. I think there's people that care about everybody has somebody that, that cares about them. You know what I mean? Like they're, I don't know explain it like in my head like at that time you think you nobody does but they do and that's my whole thing on TikTok like I'll be like I'm so many days sober um today I would have been drinking but instead I'm over here doing this like don't forget people care about you you know type of thing it sounds you know cliche and corny but it really is true like whenever you feel like somebody gives a damn about you for real it makes you second guess certain things sometimes Instead of doing that bad thing, you do the good thing. So, yeah, man, I really appreciate being on here. I was excited to do it. I was, uh, I was pissed last week. I wasn't able to make the, the appointment. I was like, man, I was telling my girlfriend. And then today I was like, hey, I got to do this podcast. So I, was, I'm look, I was looking forward to it. Like, I haven't talked on, I haven't used this mic to talk on a podcast since I've recorded the other ones. I haven't been on any shows or anything. There's been some people... Some people have asked me on TikTok if I wanted to, but they charge to get on theirs. They'll be like, do you want to be on our podcast? I'm like, sure. I'll, I'll tell them about my story. And they're like, okay, well, you just make a $50 deposit here. I'm like, what? They're like, well, because you're going to get promotion and stuff. I'm like, oh, I'm going to pay to be on a podcast. I'm just going to, I'm good. <laughs> yeah, man. You, you didn't have to pay to come on our podcast. I know. Because, because what we're doing here is we're building, we're building our tribe up, you know, and I understand some people may not like the word tribe, but when you realize what our tribe is about, it's not about going and fighting a war, but it's about standing up for each other and being there for each other. So that way, when you need to lean on us, man, we, we're going to be there. Rain, shine, we're there for each other. And, you know, thank you for coming on here and talking with us and sharing your stories brother and 
Mel was Mel was very loved. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very loved. No, it's their friends from from Washington came down for the funeral and stuff from Washington all the way down to South Texas. Um, and then uh, Amanda Ellis, her good friend, she came before she passed away. So she flew over here, and um, she was there. You know what I'm saying? So you, that 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 tribe you speak of is for real. Yeah, and thank you for like coming on here talking with talking with us about these things. And you know, I I really am glad that when you first you and he first put that podcast together i'm glad you guys did it because it really opened up my eyes to my own stuff that took me a little while to figure it out but it helped me realize that i was running around wearing a mask you know what i'm saying it's a mask bro it's put on this fake front man it's yeah you know i really i really appreciate it man yeah man and um so thanks 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 a lot man like i i can't say thank you anymore times you know um to everyone else that's out there listening to it if this hit you remember what we talked about there's courage to call 211 they can help you out you can also reach out to us we will help you find resources as well guys this was this was a very good story. Um, some really good talk in here. Hit us up in the comments on the Facebook page. Trey's on there. I see him liking all of my stuff. I got to show that support, bro. <laughs> so we are Return to Roots. Milda Vet is growing and growing. And soon we're going to see some pretty positive changes coming. So you guys just hold on. Hold on to your uh, seatbelts. It's gonna get it's gonna get pretty wild uh, in our community here pretty soon. And everybody else that's transitioning or reintegrating, whether you're joining the Navy or getting out of the Navy or military, you know what I'm saying for everyone else. It's your transition. So take charge of it. It's not all rainbows and unicorns, guys. Return to roots out. Do us a solid. Share this content with everyone you know, regardless if they're associated with the military or not. This content will help someone you know, and hopefully will lessen the deadly gap after service. Our goal is to do whatever we can to reduce the number of suicides from 22 to 0 within the community. Give us a 5-star review, follow, like, and subscribe. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, TikTok, and you can follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram for more content from our guests. These are our personal experiences and we do not represent the views of the United States Navy and or the Department of Defense. Your transition is ultimately up to you. Please do your research and ask questions. Use Master Chief Google or ask a friend and network within the community that you belong to. Return to Roots out. Mm -hmm.